Feel like you've got a lot on your plate, or maybe you've got so much going on it couldn't possibly fit on just one plate. You've got a lot of plates, fully loaded, spinning at full speed. Well, you're not alone, and you've come to the right place. I'm Liz Cerati. Welcome to Seven Plates Spinning, a podcast serving up ideas and inspiration for keeping all those plates in the air. I hope you caught the last episode where I talked to Dr. Anna Akbari because today I'm going to continue my conversation with Anna about her book. It's called Start Up Your Life, Hustle and Hack Your Way to Happiness. In case you missed part one, Anna Akbari is a sociologist whose research centers on happiness and well-being. You may have seen her on CNN or read about her work in outlets like the New York Times or Women's Health Magazine, where I first read about her. And if you haven't read her book, I highly recommend it. In Start Up Your Life, Anna shares lessons learned from researching Silicon Valley startups and entrepreneurs and how they operate to achieve success. And she teaches us how to apply those learnings to our own lives to drive our own happiness. Last time, Anna and I talked about why it's important to step out of your comfort zone and push yourself to take risks, even if they're only small risks. We talked about giving yourself permission to fail and to change how we view failing. It's not a setback, but an important step in learning and growing and continuing to progress towards the life you want to live. And we talked about why those things are hard, taking risks, embracing failure. It's hard and it can be scary. So today in part two of our conversation, I'm asking Anna to share some guidance about how to get started and how to keep yourself on track. We're going to start by talking about developing a mantra. My career is in marketing and I've spent a fair amount of time working on corporate branding projects. So I'm very familiar with the idea of companies developing a mission statement that defines why they exist, why the people who work there show up each day. And the mission statement articulates their purpose really as an organization. But I've never thought about creating something similar for myself personally, my own personal mission statement or mantra. Anna says your mantra, like a mission statement, gets to the heart of what fuels you. It should be short, only a few words. And she gives a few corporate examples like Apple's Think Differently or Google's Don't Be Evil. I love this idea, but I'm not sure where to start. So I asked Anna for help. I want a mantra. You've convinced me I need one. (laughs) How do I do that? Yeah. So, well, you know, the the mantra is you actually don't have to share it with anyone. um, And it can be a word or it could be a phrase. Um, Ideally, it's something that you feel... Imagine like you're getting a tattoo. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you want to feel pretty confident. Obviously, your your mantra can change. There's no penalty. But it's less permanent than a tattoo. It's less permanent, far less okay. painful to yeah. change. Um, but I think it's uh, it's good to try and whatever you do to center yourself, to meditate, to connect with your core, uh, to really think about that. I know for me, it's it's just a word, and it's a is word it aspirational? That, is it like something you're aspiring to, or something that grounds? That's a good question. It could be either. Um, If it's aspirational, I think it should be one that that doesn't that still comforts you, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't feel like oh, I'm not good enough yet. So that that you definitely don't want. It should be something that 
ultimately brings you back to this is why I show up in the world. This is who I am. This is what I want to radiate. This is what I feel is at my core and that I feel I'm here to do is to explore this, this word, this phrase, this theme. It just anchors you. Another way to keep yourself on track and stay motivated that Anna talks about is gamification. Have you heard this term? It's basically the idea that you can turn mundane tasks into a game by tying completion of tasks or meeting certain goals to earning a reward. Even if you didn't know the term gamification, you've likely encountered this concept in action many times in your life. Like think of uh, the foreign language learning app Duolingo, if you've ever tried that. It turns learning a new language into a kind of game experience where you earn badges and level up as you go so you can access new levels in the learning modules. Some fitness and personal finance apps also tie reaching a goal to unlocking a reward. So this is gamification. It makes working towards completing a mundane task more fun, and it gives you little boosts of achievement as you move closer to some big goal. So think of some big goal you've set for yourself and how it can be a struggle to stay committed to reaching that big end payoff. Like if you're training for a marathon, for example, preparing for the big race is the big goal. But what if you broke it into little goals along the way, like run a 5k, unlock the first reward, complete a 10k, unlock another reward. The rewards help to keep you engaged and motivated all along the way. My friend Christine in Seattle said she definitely buys into the idea of gamifying your life, even if she never knew to call it that. I don't hesitate to reward myself. So, so what kind of reward? So, like, what's a so reward? Yes. I mean, it could be like even just as simple as um, there's this really, really yummy um, hot chocolate that I get. It's like gourmet hot chocolate from a, a company here in Seattle that they make that's fantastic. So, you know, making that and just treating myself to like a delicious, um, you know, homemade fancy hot chocolate and taking the extra time at night um, yeah, and the extra like calories. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a yeah. small thing. I do um, ice cream. Yeah. I don't even not with it. I've not set any goals or like adopted gamification in my life, but right. um just, you know, if I get through the work day these days, sometimes oh, yeah. I may find myself today, I may have found myself in the backyard with a pint of ice cream eating it out of the um, <laughs> it was a sunny Good day. For you. Oh, nice. I heard from some people at work about an ice cream place um, that we don't have here in Boston. It's called Jenny's. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. Nope. Um, they may have not Seattle. I'm not sure. But anyways, I had four pints shipped to me, which was very oh exciting. I told the kids, I'm like, this is my fancy ice cream. Don't yes. touch it. Yes. There's ice cream for you in the freezer. This is not it. This is my ice cream. <laughs> and then, yeah, I may have sat outside and eaten Good for you. Good portion of a pint. Yes. Yes. It definitely could just be like it was a tough week of, you know, distance learning and I survived. Um, And then I found these like funny, I like llamas. I don't know. I think llamas, I I met a few llamas back when my friend Kristen got married in Colorado. I think it was 2003. That sounds like a crazy story. I've I've, met a few llamas when my friend got married. They're fantastic. Oh my gosh. It was such, it was such a moment. So, um, so anyway, there were these funny like llama running socks. And, you know, I told my husband, I said, when I run my half marathon, I'm going to buy these like goofy Ridiculous. Here's your reward. I love it. He was like, "Well, you can just buy it now," and I was like, "No, no, that's going to be a reward." Yeah. Yeah, So definitely, I just. I mean, and parents, we've been doing you know gamification without that kind of fancy title at home anyway, right? Like when something's a mess, like 
do you think we can pick this up within, you know, 15 minutes? And, you know, I, I definitely try to reward my kids for, um, you know, hey guys, you know, this was a tough week, not just for me, um, but for you guys too. Um, let's go through the drive through at McDonald's and get, you know, McFlurries or whatever. Yeah, so moms, the original. <laughs> right, right. It all comes back yeah. to moms. So. The OGs. Original gamers. (laughs) Totally. Yep. Moms are pros at gamifying everything from cleaning up toys to finishing your dinner. And the reward can be just about anything. I wasn't sure if ice cream and funny socks were exactly what Anna had in mind. So I asked what she thinks is the ideal reward. And it turns out the best reward may not be a material thing at all. Too often we're so withholding from ourselves that reward, we're not worthy of reward until we hit this huge milestone very far in the future. Or, you know, or I talk about play. I mean, play is a wonderful reward um, that we all need. We need that time out of time to reset our brain. And I don't know about you, but, you know, when I am in nature, or if I go for a run or do something that is, quote unquote, unproductive from, a, you know, 21st century work perspective, I sometimes have some of my best ideas and it, it's really a time for us to go into that B-roll of our brain. Um, and so rewarding yourself, if, it, if, it's, if it's more motivating for you, it can actually help your productivity in the long run. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Can we talk for a minute about how you define happiness? Because I think that mm. that's so important. It's in the title of your book, you know, yeah. ha- but like, I think people hear happiness and they think about the like point in time happiness, but you're really talking about the the journey and not this yeah. kind of moment. You call it not a momentary spike in pleasure. Yeah, it's about the ups and the downs and the and the journey. So, what, what? How do you define happiness? Yeah, well, I think too often people think that happiness means you have to be at an eleven all the time, and really, the happiest people they're at about a seven on an average day. They're not at a 10 or above, mm-hmm. right? And and so to set that as your to think, oh well, I'm You're not You're setting yourself up to fail, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also if it restricts your humanity. We mm-hmm. should have a full spectrum of experiences and emotions. You should have moments where you are sad, where you're confused, where you're frustrated, where you're angry. These are human emotions. And without those, you are denying a part of yourself. Anytime someone, you know, says, oh, good vibes only, or, you know, I have a negativity shield or any of these just total BS things, I think, oh, you're not comfortable with the full spectrum of your own humanity. You must, you, you must be ashamed of those things. You, it's like you're not making peace with them. You have to sort of invite, invite those feelings into your life, into your psyche. That doesn't mean you dwell on them. That doesn't mean you become obsessed with them and you dump them all over everyone. But it also means that you take a minute and sit with it. Maybe for you, you process it through writing. That's certainly something that's been scientifically proven to help people grow and and, and make something wonderful out of tragedy and hardship. Um, or maybe it's more of a meditative process. What, whatever resonates for you, maybe it's more of a visual creative process. I know for me, you know, writing is my crutch. It's how I process the world. But that might, I know that that is not true for everyone. For other people, yeah, it so might everyone be that talking through. Yeah. But right. the, the main goal is that you are actively 
doing it. Um, to deny those is not to be a truly happy person. I do not think. Yeah. Um, and and I think people should be should 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 look cautiously on anyone that professes to be that quote happy unquote all happy the all the time. Right. right. <laughs> So that was a really important takeaway for me. The book is all about ways to achieve happiness, but Anna is not suggesting that we should be striving for a perpetual state of bliss. That is an impossible standard. And like she says, it's not natural. Anyone who says they're happy 100% of the time is not being honest with you. And also most likely not being honest with themselves. My takeaway is that it's more about putting yourself in the right position the right frame of mind to maximize your happiness potential. Finding ways to focus your time and energy on the things that enable you to lead a happy, fulfilling life. 2015 had been sort of a hard year for me. And so I decided I needed a refresh in 2016. And I took off and I I pretty much worked uh, remotely while traveling for almost two years. Oh, that sounds and- like- Amazing. <laughs> and and the thing is, it wasn't that I had a trust fund or any savings whatsoever. I found a way to bootstrap it. I decided that that's where my that's what was going to feed me as a human, as an intellectual, just as as a as a person, as a potential future partner to someone. I needed to have that experience, and so I, every step of the way, I thought, hmm, okay, well, for this month, how could I make it happen? Oh, that will work. All right. How about for six more months? And you just keep tinkering. Um, and so, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying everyone can do that, but everyone can do their own version of exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. You can find what, yes, yeah, some way to incorporate that into your life. You know, I loved the part of the book where you talked about investing in your happiness. Mm. And, you know, I think a lot of women feel guilty. I know I do when we, um, take what you know I perceive as like a shortcut for the sake of my own happiness. Like I outsource certain tasks. I have someone uh-huh. feed my house or there was a uh-huh. point I was really busy at work and I hired someone to do my grocery shopping for a time. I it was like I felt guilty about it. I didn't really want to tell anyone I was doing it. It was this indulgence. But yeah. um you say that's actually a smart thing to think critically about how you're spending your time and how you're allocating your resources. You talk about when you're a, a a grad student, I think that you you hired an assistant. And it was I like did. you didn't have a lot of money to spend. I had no but money. It was like, <laughs> but, but it was like same thing you were saying with your travel, right? It was like you needed that in your life, and it was a worthwhile investment. And I think that in general, and this is a gross overgeneralization, that women tend to undervalue their time, and men tend to overvalue it. Sorry, men. Um, <laughs> and certainly there are exceptions on both sides. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of times it's easier just in terms of the men I've worked with to convince them, oh, you know, you, your time is better spent doing X than Y. So, so why don't you outsource Y uh, and focus on X, and that ultimately is going to make you more money. It's going to make you happier. I mean, personally, the default rule for me is if it doesn't make me money or make me happy, I I want to try to minimize it as much as possible in my life. And Which is how a business would look at it, right? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. what what is wrong with that? There's right. absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, whether that's you negotiating with your spouse or your partner and say, look, we both hate, you know, cleaning. We're not that good of it at it. We have 
these demanding jobs, maybe you have children, we're going to allocate part of our money to outsource that so that we don't have to fight about it. We don't have to think about it. We can actually get better at our jobs and make more money that will open up more opportunities than, than you, you know, doing, you know, cleaning out your uh, garage or whatever. It's an investment. It's an investment. If I had to pick just one lesson from this entire book that I could carry with me forever, I'd pick this one about investing in your happiness. This seems very much in line with the research we've probably all read that says experiences bring you more happiness than material possessions. Along those same lines, it makes total sense that focusing your resources could be time, energy, money, on achieving some sort of improved life experience would be a good investment in your own happiness. And like Anna said, if this investment frees up some space in your life for you to explore new opportunities, it could actually wind up paying off for you in the long run in totally unexpected ways. Now, most everyone has certain responsibilities and obligations, especially all of us moms, let's be real. We have to do plenty of things that are neither making us happy nor making us money. But I do think we can all look for even small ways to tip the scales even ever so slightly so we can focus more of our time and energy on the things that make us happy. Anna shares many other insights and tips for living a happy, fulfilled life in her book. If you're interested in learning more or in checking out her online courses around some of the topics covered in the book, you can check out her website, AnnaAkbari.com. That's A-N-N-A-A-K-B-A-R-I.com. I think Anna gives a really interesting framework for reflecting on your life. And she definitely got me thinking about little changes I can make to boost my happiness. I hope it's inspired you to do the same. That's all for today's episode. I hope to see you back here again next week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please visit sevenplatespinning.com and subscribe to continue listening. And consider leaving a rating or a review on whatever platform you access the podcast. I so appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.